John and Jay, you've never met each other, but I suspect you've interacted on the Twitter sphere. Probably only liked. We haven't had a conversation. We've liked each other's posts, I think, about, about that level. And we have very similar political views, which I absolutely both <laughs> raving conservatives. Yeah, I get right. right, obviously. <laughs> Listen, there's, 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 there's only one person in this room who sounds like a bloody Tory. Talk well. All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the PR Hub podcast. My name is Adam Tuckwell. And I'm John Wilcox. Hey folks, so um, on the pod uh, today we've got Jay Evans who is head of PR at Mobas. Um, Adam, I think you know uh, Jay pretty well, I can't think why. Yeah, full disclosure on this one. Uh, so Jay works in, in my team uh, and I directly manage Jay uh, on a on a day to day basis, and before you all switch off and think that this is a an insider plug for for Mobas, we invited Jay um, because he um, was very keen to share with us um, his uh, his his challenges from from last year. Um, so uh, Jay was was forced due to some health conditions. Um, to shield throughout lockdown uh, and he wanted to share his story of what that was like and also the associated um, well-being and mental health challenges that he had around that and I think um, it's it's a really insightful uh, and passionate and, and, and sometimes very raw interview um, that we have with Jay which I hope will um, help everybody whether they're, they're going through issues themselves personally or they know people who are or potentially manage people who who might be um, last season we had a mental health episode which was our most listened to episode um, to date so we know that this is a really important topic so it's great to get Jay on the pod to talk through um, his challenges and how he's come out stronger the other side <laughs> So, Jay Evans, uh, welcome to the PR Hub podcast. Jay, for people that didn't see you and your dog, Archie, in the Daily Telegraph last week, uh, can you give us a bit of background as to who you are, uh, what your career has been like in, in PR, and how you went, really interestingly, from McDonald's to Mobas? So, yeah, so while studying, I started working with McDonald's as a crew member. Uh, I worked my way up, when worked over to management and moved into the offices. While I was working for them, did some great stuff with them, but I got um, an interesting call from a PR agency in a little Norfolk town like called Kingsland, where I grew up in, and started in an agency environment, which was um, very interesting. And it was a broadcast specialist agency, so something a bit off the wall, a bit different. Um, and then I progressed through various different agencies um, in the broadcast arena and in traditional. Um, took a couple of career breaks, um, started a security company. I'm sure you'll pick that apart a bit later as to why the hell I would do that. Um, and then um, came back to the industry again, uh, again back into broadcast, launched a PR agency as a, a subdivision of my broadcast agency called Kin. Uh, worked with them for a while, um, met my partner, took another career break. So um, I ran a pub or several pubs for, for a couple of years, a few years um, with my partner. Uh, we split up and I realised that I'm getting a bit old for the pub game. And I was due to come back to, um, due to, come back to um, broadcast PR and, and, and digital actually uh, with an agency in London. And I was about to accept the job when a, 
And certainly young Mr. Tuckwell uh, sent me a message on LinkedIn and said, we've got a head of PR role at Mobas, uh, which I started uh, a year ago, so last January, end of last January. Um, and spent most of it working from home. Um, but yeah, so I joined Mobus as head of PR um, and look after the PR and social media uh, activities for the agency. Brilliant. There is an awful lot to unpack in there. I really want to talk more about broadcast PR, Jay, because whilst quite a lot of practitioners will be aware of it as a concept, something potentially that they've outsourced to other suppliers for, it would be great to to unpick that i also love the fact that you realized that you know running pubs was a young man's game so you went back into pr and communications which i think is wonderfully refreshing about our sector and the the uh you know the 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 style or perception that people have of it being perhaps more a younger person's industry so that's really exciting but for people who are unfamiliar of um, broadcast and broadcast PR as, as to what it is. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about digital PR and digital comms and the future. Um, what is broadcast PR, broadcast communications? What do you mean when you talk about it? And how have you seen that evolve from your times working in uh, a small uh, Kings Lynn based um, shop all the way through to, to your time in, in London? So, so break that down for us a little bit, if you will. So um, when I first started out, um, actually, let's talk about quickly uh, what I studied, because um, I studied media communication production. Um, and my aspirations were to be a TV newsreader when I was a child. And that progressed into my teen years. And um, I had an obsession with words, obsession with writing, with journalism. But I felt the broadcast was quite exciting. You know, growing up on the likes of Newsround, I was like, oh, that would be great to be the presenter of Newsround and actually teaching kids and teaching kids about the world and, and about what's going on in the world. Because children don't get that. Like, certainly I get it as much these days, but apart from social media. So, yeah, I was really drawn to it really early on. So when this agency contacted me and said, you know, we'd like to invite you in for an interview, I thought... Okay, what does this mean? Um, and it was really interesting. I walked in with, you know, um, local newspaper experience in, in public relations, walked in to a world where we had a studio in the office and it was looked like a radio studio and it was really exciting. Walked in, I was a bit of a radio specialist early on. So the job was to um, assist PR agencies and what they couldn't do. Uh, this is not disrespecting PR agencies, but um, they had no success in, in broadcast. They couldn't get those guests onto BBC Breakfast or onto a sofa on this morning or all these various different things. They were just not capable. And, and it was a really big um, weak point in the PR industry. And in, in, when you talk to people who have done a PR degree, a specialist PR degree, they'll always say to you that broadcast was such a limited area and they didn't really understand how to break it, what worked. Um, so... We really became specialists in those areas. We were specialists in those areas. In those days, there was marketers where I also worked, uh, broadcasters where I started out, Broadcasters Bulletin, it was called. We had a magazine that went out every two weeks to every radio station in the country that offered them prizes for their giveaways on the shows um, until the huge disaster with BBT competitions ruined that for the whole industry. Um, so we did that and we, we fed them. Do you, you know, when you listen to local radio, I love local radio. And if you ever get me started on that conversation, never shut me up because uh, I absolutely love it. Um, and they, they have a real mission um, to, to, to speak to their listeners. And it's a lovely thing. So we used to produce them like 
um, what happened on this day, and we'd go back and we'd we'd research all of this information for them and um, give them information. So like, you know, so and so was born on this day, or a war ended on this day in in whatever year, and we'd feed them with all this information in our magazine every two weeks, and it was produced by an in-house um, designer. Absolutely amazing. And thousands and thousands of these went out. But my job was to make sure that PR agencies were able to obtain broadcast coverage. Now, in those days, when I started out, it was very much radio. Um, but I expanded as I you know, went through my career. And, and it's, it's, it's incredibly exciting to sit in a studio and pretend that you are traveling the country talking to all these different radio stations. So we used to, it's an old hat phrase now, and I'm sure some broadcast agencies are going to go, Jay, just shut up. We used to call them radio days. So it was never a day, it was always a morning, and it would be breakfast shows right through to mid-morning, right through to lunchtime. And a, a guest would sit in our studio, or our studio in central London, we went just off Regent Street, would sit there and just broadcast interviews to individual radio stations all over the country. But that radio station could say, I've got so-and-so in the studio, because it was done via ISDN quality, the best you had back then. Um, so it was crystal clear. So, you know, if we had a big celebrity, they would, the radio station would make out they were in the studios. And in fact, we heard stories of radio stations uh, having queues outside of their, their studio bases and their offices, because they actually thought that that celebrity was in that studio, because that's how it's broadcast. So it's very exciting. And... Um, and yeah, it progressed and, and, and it kind of evolved into various different things. You know, a lot of it was live or recorded as live. That then developed and grew into pre-recorded packages that you could send out. So if you had, I worked, I had a joy before he passed away of working with Patrick Swayze. Um, and to sit in the studio with him, we just recorded the sound bites for the smaller stations. So where PR agency got, I only want the big boys, I only want the nationals. Um, these little guys never saw anything, so we started packaging it up. So we just would give them the responses, and the very clever presenters on these tiny little stations all over the country would piece it together into an interview and actually make out that it was an interview. So the stations got something, the listeners got something, the PR agency got the coverage they wanted, all the messages were there. But it was, it was quite an experience, uh, quite an experience. And as you know, I, I progressed very, very quickly. Um, I got promoted very quickly. And um, I got itchy feet and didn't want to live in Kingsland in Norfolk anymore. And I wanted to go to London and I got really itchy feet. And I moved to a satellite office just off um, Oxford Street. Uh, just me. Uh, and they eventually hired somebody to come in the office with me. And I run the team from a remote location. That was a bit random. But it really worked. And, and actually, I got to, you know, work with some incredible PRs. I've worked with some of the biggest players. Um, you know, and actually, I've worked with a lot of your previous guests um, as a partner. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's quite a everyone's quite negative about it because we are ne we were never fully respected for what we did for that PR agency because when they deliver the evaluation to and, and the end results to their client, they would never mention that we were even involved. So we were doing this great work and we were massively underappreciated because we would push hard and hard and hard, and the client would push us hard, because they're a PR agency, they're pushing for their clients, so we were third down the line, and it was quite hard, and it, you know, there was a lot of pressure put on our shoulders, but we really delivered, and you know, the key messages were in there, everything needs to get across, we made sure that we briefed the spokespeople, you know, media training was strong, it was a very, very strong industry, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it, a lot of people say to me, oh, you must, it must be nice to be back in traditional PR, I hate that phrase, um, but that's what they say. And, and yes, I am, but that doesn't mean that I disrespect what these guys are doing because 
they are a service that, frankly, PR agencies struggle to do. People often talk about the fact that we're too media relations focused uh, in, in the podcast, and we're obviously trying to, to look at this broader communication spectrum. But I'm particularly keen to talk about why why this type of media relations is so is is so different or or so complex do people just um think not not appreciate the potential within broadcast you talk about local radio you talk about national tv they're they're big audiences we're able to attract and 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 reach a a large audience people why why do people uh have to outsource it why do people not be able to do it is it just because it's a completely different mindset or is it about a contacts game where actually having a black book is really important for securing results it's a bit of both having the having the contacts really helps as it does in any kind of pr you know if you've got a relationship with a journalist you're in a much stronger position than if you don't uh, so that does help but actually it's the process of pitching uh, a phrase again i don't really like but you know, when you're approaching um, a broadcaster of any type, so it doesn't matter if you're talking to This Morning, Good Morning Britain, BBC Breakfast, or you're talking to One Man is Dog FM in, in an island in Scotland, they are so ridiculously limited on staff and resources, especially in the BBC, which people will find quite bizarre. Um, but also the, a lack of understanding of how the structure works. So it's not just... Um, you know, you've got one broadcast journalist that you can contact and they'll do everything. You've got to impress a hell of a lot of people and know the right people to impress. You've got to know where to go. So a BBC might be in a luxury compared to a a commercial station, but would have a researcher, a journalist on board, have an editor, they have the presenters. But the, the general nature of broadcasters is the presenters have to get bought in as much as their editors and their, you know, program controllers, all those people have to get involved in as well. But they also have to make sure that when it's it's a very big risk to put somebody live on a broadcast and know that they're going to deliver something that A, is right for their audience, B, they're not going to stuff it up. And I can tell you some stories. Um, They're not going to freeze. That's another story. Um, But, you know, it's it's such a risk. And the, the dynamics of broadcast is very, very different to your your kind of print journalism and your, you know, your online journalists. They're they're very, very different people. And because of the lack of understanding, it's just continued for decades. I mean, I can't remember when um, the first first ever company has gone bust now. I can't can't for the love of life remember what it's called. Um, They were um, very ingrained in the broadcast industry. And they kind of really understood. They come from a broadcast background. They were previous you know, program controllers and editors that had seen the, the background of it and seen what a mess PR people were making of it and gone, do you know what, we can start this. And that's how they all started. My ex-director was um, actually worked on my local radio station as a breakfast presenter. And he got so frustrated with PR people. Um, but they've never learned. And it's just never learned. And so it's become almost like a reliance. It's, it's, they're so reliant on those broadcasts. I'm not, that's not saying this is a bad thing, but they rely on them because... These um, broadcast agencies, they focus hard on keeping those relationships, as we do as PR people with journalists, but they understand the structure. They understand that if you're going to, if you want to get something on a mid-morning programme, you know you have to catch them when they go off air, because before air, they're planning that programme. They go on air, you need to know when they finish on air, when they go for their cup of coffee and they go for the loo break and, you know, go for a fag, whatever, and then you know when they're going to be back at their desk and catch them at the right time. And the amount of pitches that don't suit the broadcasters, they don't think about the audience. They're just thinking, okay, well, they're broadcasting to 400,000 people. I want to be on there. 
But actually, they don't even know what the audience is. They're just like, I just want to be next to a big audience. They don't understand that actually, you know, you're talking about, um, I don't know, menopause to an audience that is 16 to 25 year olds swaying towards males. You know, that's not an audience that are going to want to hear what you're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. So it is a very educational thing. And I think um, there, I'm not saying that PR agencies are lazy and can't do it, but they've got enough on their plate that actually developing that, even in some of the massive agencies, developing that within is going to be a hard process. So it's now, you know, you've got likes of good relations that have started good broadcasts. They've done it for a reason because they know that they need those specialisms in-house to look after their own client, and they're now able to sell that outside as well, so it's a revenue stream. It's, 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 a, it's a complex thing, but yeah, it's, I would go as far as saying it's, it's a lack of education and understanding, um, and, and really getting into, you know, a, a journalist if they're writing might still check their email, they might still, you know, might still answer the phone. Someone who's live on air can't answer the phone on a radio station. You know, TV studio, these people multitask. You know, the, the, people think that the, the editor and the journalists just sit in an office. They don't. A lot of the time they're in the studios, they're briefing the guests that are coming on. You know, they, the green room's an active, well, not currently, but it was an active place where you've got all these guests in there and all talking between each other. These people are trying to relax them, get them into the mindset of this is what you need to do, this is what we want to talk about. Because the other thing is, they won't just want to talk about, you know, what you want to talk about. You're putting, a lot of the time, you're either putting somebody very knowledgeable or somebody very famous or semi-famous into that arena. So they'll want to know about their back music history or their TV programmes they've been on. Or if they're a, um, a professor in a, in a specific field, they will want to delve a bit even outside of it. So you might want to go in and talk about your condition that your product, you know, um, helps, you've got on the shelf in Tesco's now, helps this condition. But actually that, there might be something in the news that person wants to talk about, so they have to be adaptable. Um, so it isn't as, as, it isn't as, I don't want to use the word easy, but it isn't as easy as just dealing with one journalist. You've got a complex amount of people. And it's, um, they, they've got a lovely phrase called shelving. Um, I used to think if you got shelved, you were, you were, you're being ditched. What that means is we're going to put you potentially in the plan for Wednesday, but if something breaks like the budget this Wednesday, you ain't got to look at me. It's not going to happen. You're out. And so you can have the best schedule of interviews, and then literally it's like, you're not going to talk to them now because I've got so much more to talk about. So it's very, you know, you're, you're very controlled by what's happening in the news agenda in broadcast. So, Joe, I wanted to, to just pull at that thread of, of you being in the industry for 20 years. Obviously, you've taken, you've taken a couple of breaks, um, but you're an experienced veteran from the, the, the PR sector with, with two decades of experience un, under your belt. Um, I think we, could, we can all appreciate that the last year has been a significant challenge for, for every practitioner. Um, and uh, John and I reflecting earlier on, on the previous season of the podcast, we held an episode which was all about mental health and mental well-being. And during that episode, um, we spoke to two people about mental health challenges and what people can do to, to, to support their team and support um their staff and their peers and, and their colleagues and it's been our most popular episode of the pod uh, to date and so we were really keen in season three to to explore the theme of of mental well-being once once again and in particular one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you was because you've been shielding um for the last year so you've had 20 years of of comms experience um but the the last year not only starting a new job but the last year has seen you um 
having to having to isolate and having to to, to shield so um talk to us a, a little bit about that experience if 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 you will um so yeah as you say i um started a new job at the end of january uh by mid to end or it's the middle of march 15th of march that i i left the office um and you know i've been back very very rarely for a year um it's been quite difficult uh, i'm not gonna lie uh, and because you know we sort of alluded to the fact that i left the industry i left the industry um to run pubs um which is a bit random um moved from pub to pub became dis um disassociated with a lot of my friends because of the moving around i moved from norfolk and into lincolnshire and into essex um i broke up with my partner during that period um we lost huge amounts of money in the pub industry and heaven forbid they're being it now but uh, we lost huge amounts of money uh walked away with huge amounts of debt um uh, but we that caused our relationship breakdown so we uh, we separated and um yeah and so i came back so um while all, all of that happened covid came along in march and i was suddenly unable to leave my house uh, except to the garden with my dog uh, or to take him for a walk in the middle of the night because i was scared of seeing anybody else because i was told that i was high risk um and still am high risk um you know so it, it was quite difficult and, and to be told that you couldn't do anything you know, I couldn't go to the supermarket. I couldn't, I couldn't walk my dog. You know, while people were around, um, I was literally, I was literally locked inside these four walls. Um, and the past started to really catch up on me. You know, and, and actually, um, I started to reflect on a lot of the things that had happened over the last couple of years before that. You know, the the breakdown of my relationship, um, and then I started to doubt myself. I then started to become very aware that perhaps I wasn't the person that I felt that I was when I joined the job. So I then started to to have self-doubt that, that became really started to overtake me because I didn't have anybody to talk to. I hadn't developed relationships at Mobas. Adam and I, uh, you know, we worked together. We, Adam and I have a great relationship. Um, and, and, you know, very, very quickly, we have very similar personalities. We got on very, very well. But I didn't know my team um, and I didn't know the people around me. I was a manager of, of people. So that was strange uh, to then be, you know, not really have a relationship with them, grow any kind of relationship with them. I had no relationship with my clients per se because I hadn't really met them. Um, and so all of a sudden it became Jay and Archie's world, my dog, and there was nobody coming into it. And when I was connecting to my colleagues at work, there was no emotive connection there either. So actually I started to have quite an automaton relationship with my computer, which then I couldn't, you know, I didn't want those calls. I wanted to move away from it and be like, no, actually, I, I really don't. Um, you know, I, I do my calls, I do my work, and I was, I was plugging and I was working really hard. It was becoming difficult because obviously all journalists were furloughed and it, it just became, all of a sudden the job became more difficult and I thought, oh my God, am I, how am I gonna deal with this? And the self-doubt started to really overtake me. Um, and. It's it's quite bizarre because I, I, you know I, I got to the stage um, and I'm not I'm not uh, proud enough to not say this I got to the stage where I actually didn't value myself any longer I had I had lost all self respect um, I had lost all will to to do anything and and I worked and I worked and I slogged and it was such hard work and I really slogged hard to to do my job because it was the one thing I had and it was the only thing I had and if and, and Archie. That eventually overtook me, um, and I had to seek medical help um, because I got into such a stage where 
I had shut everybody up. My sisters hadn't spoken to me. The family Zoom calls had stopped. The calls to mates had stopped. Um, I used to turn my phone off, my private phone off, at night time. As soon as I'd finished work, I would turn my personal mobile off so nobody could contact me. And I'd turn it back on when I came to work. I'd look at messages from people and just ignore them. I became completely isolated. So I wasn't just into forced medical isolation. I had mentally isolated myself. The only communication I was having was with colleagues and with clients and with journalists where I could get hold of them. Um, and, and that was my only communication. So work became everything I had, that and, and cuddles with my doc, you know. And, and I, I actually think, you know, there's a, there's a massive part of me that I'm very connected to my dog. Um, the massive part of me that had he not have been here, there's 100% chance I wouldn't have been here. And it got that serious because and I think it's, it's really important that I open up about this now because um, I'm actually helping other people now. I'm training to be a wine counsellor. I'm really working hard to, to put what I learned from, from my medical experience last year into practice for other people. I'm putting in place things at work for people to, to help them on their mental journey. And I'm able to identify traits that, of myself back then in lockdown one that I'm now starting to see that in people in lockdown three. Uh, and I've become a bit of a call and cheer everybody up kind of a guy, uh, you know, and, and, and trying to try and make everyone's life that a little bit better. Just playing the fool. I mean, I've dressed up as a rabbit and all sorts to, to make one of the girls a white glove. You know, it's just taken, but I've taken learnings and the brilliant, I mean, I cannot, cannot credit mind enough for the counsel I had. Two days a week, hour at a time, and just taking me through my mental processes and taking me through my understanding of myself and starting to realize that actually I wasn't the person that I've made myself believe I was. Um, you know, and it was fic that that person was fictional, not this one. You know, this guy has got a lot of experience, very good at my job, know what I'm doing. But I, you know, the isolation um, had really started to, to push on that. And, you know, um, when I spoke to other people who had isolated, uh, who have been isolating, uh, some older, some younger, they've been through very similar uh, paths, you know, some more dramatic than even mine. Um, and, you know, it's it's really important that people speak out. And I'm very keen to speak out about it and, and help people because this is, this is an unusual time. You know, had it not been for the nightmare that happened over those couple of years before this year, perhaps I wouldn't have been so bad. But my brain, that's all it would focus on was the failings, not on the positives. Um, and, you know, through the, the, the support of mine, I managed to pull out all of those things. They made me, They used to make me go through, um, you know, work that I'd done previously, go through my computer and pull out things that I'd written that I was really proud of and read them again and, and say, so you know what, you did that. And, you know, big interviews and the picture of me and Patrick Swayze and all these things, you know, and they made me pull all that out and go, you did that. You know, not this person that you're creating, you did that. Um, and, you know, I was very, very lucky to pull around pretty quickly, you know, after a few weeks of... of of good chats with with Will, uh, my counsellor, who's absolutely brilliant. Uh, my time with him, uh, a little bit of help from the doctor, um, and the support of, of Mobus. You know, they were exceptional. You know, exceptional. They completely understood. They completely accepted um, that, you know, I was having a problem. Um, and they even created ways to communicate with me that made me feel comfortable. It was all about me, not about the business or about money or about my team, it was about me. And let's get you back to normal and we'll worry about everything else later. And that support was incredible for somebody that had only been with the company a few months. Wow, 
Um, I don't, <laughs> it's it's quite. It's quite difficult to um, it's quite difficult to hear that, Jay, and I imagine it'll be quite difficult for our listeners to to hear that and hear you talk about how you found it. And obviously, you've you've had time to to reflect. It's interesting you mentioned the fact that actually lockdown one was 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 horrific for you, and actually you can now see other people and, and it really taking the strain on people. Um, I think this is a slightly unusual episode in in that. I'm in it and and you're in it and and you work at Mobas and I was your manager during this experience um, and I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about how you felt about yourself it's really interesting to hear how work was your uh, your your core focus and then during the time that you were there you were online and you were alive and you're awake and you were you know, very active and, and as bubbly externally as you could be. But at the end of that time, you, you switched your phone off and, you know, you, you, you switched off and you shut down. Um, and as as your manager during that time and as someone who, who was um, looking out for you, I think we, we could see a huge degree of, of warning signs and, 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 and red flashing lights. But in all my management experience, I just felt that I, I really didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to help. And I didn't know what to say and wanted to listen. And I think actually it was really helpful that you were you were very open. And I think that's something that, you know, if, if people who are listening to this now are going through the experience, just this idea of how you work through it so you're not doing things alone, you're being honest and you're helping and you're sharing um is is really valuable isn't it so that idea that actually you can you know you've got to work through these things yourself but you need support and you need external parties and you need people to 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 pick you up again um yeah that's 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 really helpful you talk about the the work that you did with mind and then how that's how that's helping you now what what is it about the fact that you've you've been through this experience that that makes you or compels you to want to to want to help others. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. As weird as it sounds, <clears throat> um, Will, my counsellor, um, had been picked for me because he'd been through something very similar. So we were similar characters. This was incredible because he literally is in the town next to mine. Like literally. Um, in fact, he plays in a band that I booked for my pub in that same town uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, we only found that out when um, he found me on Twitter because I was talking about Mobas. He found me on Twitter and realised that I was the landlord of the pub that he played at. And all of a sudden we, we have now a new relationship. Um, and even that experience for, for, for Mind, um, they would normally take you to a coffee shop, sit you down, talk to you face to face. Couldn't do that. So we were doing it over the phone. Um, but what I found really compelling was the fact that he had been through it all. Um, he met his wife uh, at working for mine. They both work for mine. They met through uh, a mutual uh, mental health issues, uh, and now they're they're happily married uh, with a dog and they're, they're loving life. But it was it was um, his way with me to to get me to open up that I found really compelling because he he didn't you know he made me feel very comfortable in myself. He made me feel very relaxed, and and you know and it was just a conversation. You didn't feel like you were being counselled per se. You were you were being chatted to, and he would say, "Well, why?" You know, he'd ask me why. You know, why do you feel that 
you know, you don't deserve this. Why do you feel you don't deserve that? Why are you not talking to this person? But also, um, he taught me how to group um, people into certain mental health groups, so to help you with parts of your life. So, Adam, you became my, my work trust. Um, out of my family, my little sister became a family member. Sorry, Sharon. My little sister became my... My, my older sister's going to be screwing. But my little sister um, was my family connection to talk about on a much more personal level. Adam, on a professional level, to make sure that I wasn't harming my career and to give me the reassurance that I could get through this and my job would be there and everything would be fine. Um, and then I have Laura, my next door neighbour. Um, we obviously share it. We share a garden. So um, the great thing is we can go and talk distance out in the garden. But I'm going to dog out. And she became my outside of my family trust. So where I couldn't talk to my family about certain things, I felt like I could talk to her. And in fact, she was brilliant, but she forced it out of me. She didn't give me a chance, um, but in a nice way. Um, and all of these different combinations of, of tactics and techniques and, you know, even down to, to mild forms of meditation and relaxation and uh, mindfulness techniques. I just, it was just incredible. It, I would have said, if you'd, if you'd come to me, February this time last year and said to me that I would be meditating or I would be doing mindfulness techniques, you know, you know laying on a bed in a star jump and focusing on parts of my body to remove thoughts from my head. I would literally have laughed at you. Um, but actually, it's incredible. And it's taught me so much about myself. It's taught me so much about other people and my awareness of other people. Um, so there's triggers in conversations at the moment where I, I hear things and think, okay, that's not a positive reaction. We, you know, even even with relationships at work, um, people are becoming more open. But I haven't. Uh, this is the most public I've been about my struggles, um, and, I, and I, I wanted to go on to do just that. Um, but now, my my being open and my being honest about it and and being real about it helps me, but it helps other people, and it makes people realise that actually it's not that difficult to just talk to somebody else and be honest. And you know, the counselling. I keep calling it counselling. It's not officially counselling, but it is. Um, and it taught me to to realise that everybody in this world has problems. Everybody in this world, you don't know what's going on behind somebody's eyes. You know, when we're on a call at work or on a Teams call or a Zoom call, you have no idea what's happening in that person's life. You have no idea. Um, and you know, things things bother you, and 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 the environments bother you. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Twitter user. Um, and I've been trolled recently because I had my jab. Uh, I got trolled really heavily. Didn't bother me. Just blocked them, deleted the messages, left it. Um, you know, because I now realise that I've got self-worth. I realise that I am who I am and I realise my, my nature and who I am. And I'm naturally a person that likes to help people anyway. But I think, you know, once you hit a bottom, you're only going to go up again. And the only way I'm going to go up from where I am now is by helping other people. And knowing that there are people out there that are too scared to say something. They're too frightened to go to their boss and say, can I just have a couple of days? I just need to pull myself together. I'm having some issues. You know, we're taught not to talk about things. You know, people go through divorces and breakups and all these things. And they don't talk about it with their bosses. But actually, it really does affect you. It affects you. And, and you know, we have to look after ourselves. You know, you're rammed down your throat. You must eat this. You must do that. Um, to keep, you know, go for a walk, get your steps up, all this kind of stuff. Nobody talks about mental health. Nobody says, take time out for yourself and just sit down and just relax and just think of yourself for a second. Look at yourself in the mirror. Biggest phrase I learned, and I will take this to my grave, is if you want, to, it's all well and good being everybody else's best friend, but the best friend you've got in your life is yourself. 
If you can't look at yourself in the mirror and think, I am treating you as my best friend, you're, you're doing yourself a disjustice. You should think, look in that mirror and look at that person in the mirror and look at them and say, if you were my best friend, what would you do? And then put it into practice for yourself. And that is an incredible... I, I, Adam, I think I told you this uh, right at the early stages when I was really down. I couldn't even look in the mirror. I would style my hair without looking in a mirror because I was that... I, I'd become ashamed of myself. And I don't know... I can't even tell you why. We've, we've delved into it. But it was just that the, the whole package just caused a massive rift in my personality. But, um, you know, I couldn't look in the mirror. And the breakthrough day was the day... I looked in a mirror and I smiled, and I. Yeah, it was. A, it sounds so ridiculous to somebody who's not been through or doesn't feel they've been through severe mental health problems. But I looked in the mirror and I smiled at myself, and that was breakthrough. I knew at that point I'd got to a stage that I wasn't going to be at again. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to be that past person. I was now at a stage where everything from now was going upwards, and if I ever drop down, I'm only going to go back to that day I looked in the mirror and smiled at myself. Uh, because I became my best friend. I became, I looked at myself and thought, okay, if, if, if you're going to have troubles, then I'm going to fix you. And now I've got the strength to do that for other people. Mm. So, um, Grant, did you're, you're, you're helping other people at the moment, and it's great to hear that, that you're obviously feeling significantly better than you were um, you know, last, last, last year and everything, which is, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, not a trained expert in, 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 in mental health or anything like that. However, you have lived uh, through experiences and therefore I think, you know, you are no, no, no less, um, uh, no less valid. No, less valid. You know, your, your, your opinions will, your, your, and, your, and your advice will, will be equally as valid uh, for sure. But to agency owners, to, um, you know, department leaders in, in house, um, and and even sole practitioners, because God only knows how on earth they're doing it. What advice would you give to people to um, to, to support others in their teams um, who are who are struggling? I mean, lockdown three, winter lockdown has been a total bitch. It really has been. It's dark. You can't go outside and have and have like a, a nice evening in the sun and just. Just feel the sun on your on your on your face. That's sort of vitamin D. Um, it it has sucked. Um, so, what advice would you would you give to people? Um, it's very very difficult for an individual to admit that they're struggling, especially to an employer. Um, but there are telltale signs to look for, and a lot of the time, it's it's. I've noticed it already. There's a lot of over-egging, so over overdoing how happy you are uh, and what you're doing. But the biggest um, challenge for for agency owners, department heads, whoever, uh, managers, um, the biggest hurdle is is getting over that you know that person's inability or or um, not wanting to talk about their problems. But you've got to create an environment where it feels like you are respected and you can talk to somebody. We, um, we do a brilliant thing. Uh, we have a buddy system at work, so you can have one-on-ones and just chat to people. You can take a break at any point in the day and have a chat with your buddy um, and, and things like that. But it's, it's the overall. I mean, I you know he's on the call, and I feel I, I wish he wasn't on the call so I could compliment him when he wasn't here. But Adam was absolutely brilliant um, at making me feel incredibly comfortable 
um, and not not being pushy about it, but just, you know, being, but Adam's put in uh, procedures at work, you know, set times in the week where we break off and we have a little 15 minute coffee break or we do whatever, just to stop people talking about work for 15 minutes, half an hour uh, and do different things. But it, it's that culture. The hardest thing that any business owner is going to have to overcome is developing a culture where you can feel like you can go to anybody in the business and say, I'm struggling. It, it, you know, I'm not in a good place. Um, we are blessed, among us, in that you know we do have um, a culture where that feels like that. And, and for somebody who was new at the time this happened, I still felt like I could go to Adam. But I think there are there are personalities in businesses, and it's identifying who the personalities that can bring that forward are. Um, so, you know, it might not necessarily be the the owner of the agency, the MD, the deputy MD, the um, account director. It might just be that you've got a really emotive, sensitive, easygoing person that people just feel they can go to. Give them so give them the opportunity to be that person. Um, Adam and I are working together on various different things uh, at the moment, and I'm putting together, um, you know, different, several different packages at work, and and. I was quite open. I sent a, a Teams uh, update out to the whole agency and said, look, here's half an hour of my time every day. My diary is blocked out at lunchtime for half an hour every day. And said, well, come and talk to me for half an hour if you want to. I've done it with a few employees of the agency and they felt they can come to me because I was quite open about what happened to me. Um, and actually, sometimes it, it doesn't, no, all the time is about the directors, the senior people, the people that are managing to actually show that they aren't the strong person they would want to normally show when it comes to mental health. You know, um, it's, we keep hearing that the, the next pandemic is going to be the mental health pandemic. I am not in the slightest bit, um, you know, unsure that's going to happen. It definitely will. Um, and it's now when people are in their worst scenario. I mean, it's bizarre because I've been absolutely fine this lockdown and I've I've been able to help other people because of what I learned in the first one. Everybody else has come to the winter lockdown, as you were just saying, John. It's not easy for everybody else who didn't go through hell in the summer um, or in the spring and summer as I did. Um, so actually when it came to the winter, I was, I'd mentally prepared myself. So when I started to go downhill, I started to refocus my mind, you know, focused on the positives, looked at all the positives, and actually, you know, as I said, just occasionally calling a colleague and just having a bit of banter, having a bit of a laugh, having a bit of a joke, telling them stories from my past, because I'm cracking stories, you know, it makes people laugh because I'm a bit of a bumbling idiot. I didn't think they blunder for 20 years uh, when I was younger because I made blunders all the time. Um, and those stories make people laugh. And, and, and actually, when you break down that barrier and you make somebody laugh, it's amazing how suddenly they will come to you and, and be honest with you. Um, but honesty, and I think if you are... A leader of an agency and you're absolutely detesting working from home it's doing your nothing you might not be in the best place than anyone else for once you know out of everything else you know from corporate level be that md on a mental health level bring it down and be a person we're all people it doesn't matter what position you're in it doesn't matter whether you're an account exec that's just chopping up clip-ins or you're an md or a ceo doesn't make any difference. We're all people. And you need to be a person in this kind of environment. And actually say, sitting there and saying, do you know what? I'm really pissed off with Teams calls or Zoom calls. I've had enough. That doesn't hurt. 
because we all feel like that. We'd all love to be in the office. We'd all love to be hugging each other and making each other cups of tea and having banter in the office. We'd all love that. No, none of us are any different. We're not changed as people. Yes, we've been changed for a year, but we will adapt and we'll change and we'll come out of this the other end. The only way we're going to come out of this positively and go back to the office in a positive way is by all being with each other. And it actually doesn't hurt to be a senior person and go, do you know what? And every now and then, just be that open. If you've got a group call, um, you know, say, how's everyone feeling? I'm feeling really crappy. You know, it's really hit me. It's amazing how all of a sudden you'll get people saying the same thing. And yeah, actually, do you know what? This week's been particularly hard. We had, we had a group call a couple of weeks ago and everyone was like, why does this week feel like it's been a month long? It just won't stop. It's just constant. Why is it only Wednesday? Everyone was feeling the same. We're all the same thing. We're all human beings. We've all got feelings and emotions. We all feel the same thing. Some of us are just more open than others. But actually, it wouldn't hurt. If you want to be the big billy, big bollocks at the top of the agency, that's absolutely fine. But just remember, the people that you pay to work for you and do good work for you are human beings with a soul and a heart and a mind. And they all have to be looked after just as much as the pennies do. So, I mean, I think I think one of the things here is, is, is you know, we're obviously focused on, on mental health and the current sort of climate, the current lockdown, um, you know, the, the fact that it's, uh, what are we coming up to now, uh, the uh, 300 and... Uh, 300 and 60th of the 360th of March 2020 uh, at the moment um, and I think the difficulty is sometimes when uh, we kind of fall, I think uh, we're falling into a bit of a, a trap where we're kind of uh, going you know mental health mental health is linked to the p- pandemic which of course it is and stuff like that um, but you know mental health issues can occur at any time they happen before the pandemic they're going to happen after the pandemic as you said well the corona uh, virus pandemic they're going to happen after the coronavirus uh, pandemic and, and, and lockdown and all that sort of stuff. And I think one of the issues over the last 12 months is the fact that we have had that um, that lack of social interaction where you don't catch up with somebody in the, in the, in the, in the, um, uh, at the counter making a coffee or something like that to go, are you okay? You're relying on people doing it outside of serendipitous opportunities, which has been an issue in our industry in any case, is, is, you know, not having the creative um, serendipity over the last 12 months that we're used to. But it also goes deeper than that with, with, with mental health. And now I'm falling into a trap of just extending a question that Tucker's, it, it, tends, to, it tends, tends to do. Um, and I think the other thing then uh, uh, as well is how um, I, I saw this um, on, on, online recently um, is that we're not working from home. We're living at work, and one of the issues is the fact that we're either we're using it as a distraction. Work's a fantastic distraction over the last twelve months. Thank God, on a personal level, I haven't been furloughed for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons is I'd be climbing the wall right now. You know, I I I I I can't. I need that distraction. Um, obviously, if this was twenty or thirty years ago, we'd been in a whole different um sort of ball game and and i'm not sure how we'd be able to do the work that that we're all um paid to do thank god for technology but it is it is also a bit of a ball and chain um how much of it how much of an issue has it been for mental health that we are i mean in my mind we, we are in any case the, the fact that we do work over um um non-contiguous i don't even think that's the right english but you know that sort of um unplanned virtual social working meets you know it's it's a case of oh, i'll call you in like 9 30 for a meeting but it's not like oh do you fancy a coffee let's have a chat how are you doing today 
Have you noticed? I don't know if you've noticed it, John, uh, when you're working, but um, when someone calls you just randomly out of the blue, um, you get really pissed off now. It's like you're interrupting me, go away. Um, so actually, yeah, we have become a little bit, become a social prize. We're like, don't want to talk to you, piss off. And I will literally ignore calls sometimes because I'm like, actually, I can't be doing with the break. I'm writing. I need to be left alone. But that's why um, you don't answer well, my calls. Yeah, all the time. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> one of the interesting things, uh, I read a report, a psychologist report, uh, only a few days ago, about the return to work. And actually, people going from what the situation we're in now to when we go back into the office. And actually, there's more anxiety about returning to society than there is about remaining a remote workforce because we've become so associated with this environment. But what this environment does from a mental health perspective is it, it really doesn't, it, it's closed conversational doors. So, you, as you were saying, you can't just go, oh, should we go sit on the balcony and have a coffee, you know, in the sunlight and, and have an atter, and any conversation drifts off. Me and Adam are brilliant at this. We try to talk about work and end up talking about God knows what else. Um, we don't have that. We've become structured and rigid. Our diaries have become half an hour team call for that, half an hour team call for that, or Zoom call, whatever. Um, so we're actually not making time to develop relationships like we would if we were in person. And, um, and as we, we alluded to slightly uh, in the previous conversation was, um, you know, these breakout moments that we're doing at Mobile. So it's like 15 minute chance to go away and talk about something other than work. They've actually become quite funny, you know, quite a laugh. And, um, and we, we really have to rethink how, you know, going back to work and how different that's going to be to the environment we've, we've created for ourselves. Because we are living at work. That's, that's, you know, that's it. I mean, I, you know, um, I'm currently in my living room. I've got an open plan house. Uh, my bedroom's downstairs, which is a bit back to front. Bedroom's downstairs. When I go to my bedroom, that's when I don't feel like I'm at work. And I've suddenly realised that I'm starting to spend most of my evenings in my bedroom because I can stare at my desk. And I'm a, I'm a bug over checking my phone for emails all the time as well. But we have got to the stage where, weirdly, uh, I used to commute an hour and a half into work, hour and a half home. Um, and that was my cool-down time. That was my, my release time. I'd think about some of the things from work and slowly edge back into my personal life. Uh, get home, forgot about work. You, you've not got that now. You, you're not walking away from work and shutting down. And one of the things that... Um, I did a, a campaign for a client based on my learnings. Um, and one of the things uh, I was uh, taught during my learning was to slam down the laptop. Don't just slam it down. Put it away. If you are in an environment where your work environment is there, put it away. Put it where you can't see it, right? Because if you can't see it, it's not there, right? That's what you've got to say in your head. Um, because we have become, you know, these, these work-at-home automatons to a degree. Um, but we have lost that kind of, that interaction. I've been very blessed in that I've made most of my MOBAS relationships with my colleagues over um, this kind of technology, you know, over, over video technology, because I didn't know anybody. I barely knew anyone. Um, and I've had to learn. And we, over time, have learned to have little calls here and there and little chats and actually I've started to realise as the, the lockdowns have gone on, the conversations, yes we have a block out of say an hour for a meeting, the first 15 minutes just waffle because we're just catching up um, and I think that's, that's shied upon by some more sort of clinical organisations or more organised organisations and that's where it starts to go wrong because those little, those little nuggets of 10 or 15 minutes make my day. You know, that's, that's where I find the most joy. Because you get that, and then you go, oh, actually, we're here to talk about work. <laughs> you know, we go back into it. Um, 
But, you know, we have lost a lot of personal relationships. And my concern now is big time, the shift from what we're, you know, this sitting in front of a laptop to actually being in person in an office. Because, uh, you know, some people have been furloughed for the entire year. Some people, you know, have been on and off furlough. Some have worked, but worked remotely. Um, there is a huge level of anxiety about going back to work. Um, I, I'm not feeling it. I have to admit, I, I want to go back. I don't want to go back five days a week because I've realised that actually the lockdown's taught me one thing, uh, and certainly mental health problems have taught me another, is, and, and I'm hoping this is, this is across the board, it's made me realise that we don't live to work. You know, we, we have to look after ourselves. So, you know, you, you need to learn to switch off. And what it's taught me is my work-life balance. You know, there was a point where... I would leave at uh, 5.30 in the morning, get home at 7.30, 8.30 at night. I was having to pay somebody to come around and walk my dog and feed my dog at lunchtime because I was away from him for too long and I live alone. Um, I started to realise my work-life balance was so off-kilter, like, massively. I love my job, but it's massively off. And, you know, before Mobass and, and when I, I worked abroad, uh, at the relations group, I used to commute on the train. And that was a two-hour journey. It was two train journeys to work because I'd just been based in Bournemouth. So... Um, again, then, and, and, you know, really struggled with my relationship. Um, and, you know, by the time the weekend came, I didn't really want to do anything. And I started to, like, do less and less and less. And that really started to affect my mental health as well. Um, so we've now got to strike it right. And I think business owners now, as agency owners, need to realise, and I think they are, that they need to be flexible with people because they are going to need to adjust to going back to what was before. Um, creativity is a big thing. I love, I love a good brainstorm. I know that word's again, another one's shy on, but I love a good brainstorm. I love a good meeting room full of people, scribbling on, in our case, on walls, on stick on bits of paper. Um, yeah, and I, I absolutely love that environment and I bounce off that and you can't get that from a, a Zoom call or a Teams call. You can't. Um, so you do need that back in, but you know, you can do that three days a week when you have two days at home. You know, let people have the flexibility. But, Allow them to talk to you about what they want. Don't dictate to them, because if you dictate to them and say, right, you are coming to work Monday to Wednesday and you're working from home Thursday and Friday, it might not suit their, their mental state at that time, because you literally, I can imagine there's loads of businesses that are waiting for that day that Boris says, right, offices can open, and they'll all just want everyone back five days a week. It will destroy them. People will need to readjust. As much as we're hating this lockdown, as much as we don't want to be doing this, it's going to be equally as bad if you shock us back into the old life, back from this one, because we have adjusted. And, and you know, we have adjusted to it, and it is, it's horrible. I don't like it. I don't want to do it five days a week. But actually, I'd quite like to have Tuesday and Thursday at home, you know, so I can, you know, walk my dog at six o'clock as opposed to nine o'clock at night, you know, and have a bit more of a life. But I certainly don't want to be locked in this house five days a week. So a couple of observations for me. One, uh, John Wilcox just asked a total Adam Tuckwell question that rambled for ages. <laughs> Boom. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, he broke our duck of not mentioning the word serendipity in season three. We're two episodes <laughs> in, he's already delivered. Damn. Um, but um, to follow up with a slightly more serious third point, um, I was uh, listening to a talk the other day where somebody said that, that COVID had democratised mental well-being and mental health. Um, and so now everybody can talk about it and everyone can accept that um, 
there are these issues and i think what the the point of what the speaker was trying to say was this idea that there's a spectrum and we're all on it so actually there can be extremes polar extremes at either end but actually um people can feel more empowered to say i'm having a shit day today and you know what i don't even know why i haven't had a bad call i haven't had a bad meeting i just got up in a really bad mood and do you know what it's really impacting my day and i'm in a shit place today um in, in the one hand, it's great that people can say that. Yeah, it, so it, it's great that people feel comfortable to be able to say, do you know what? Today is shit. So don't call me. <laughs> don't, don't email me because that's not, that's not what I want, right? So, so COVID perhaps has made people um, feel more empowered to, to share that. But if COVID has democratised people owning their mental well-being... Does it make it more difficult for individuals or for people they work with to spot when a bad day turns into a bad week, into a bad month, into potentially a really serious situation? Because I totally hear what you're saying, because I had a shit day the other day as well. Do you know what, am, I, am I being really insensitive with that question? Or is, the, is there a point to that where actually the fact that everyone's empowered to do it may cause... Uh, difficulty in spotting when people are are on a really bad run. Can I counter that with a bit of a? Um, I think it's slightly different. I think everybody is talking about there being mental health problems. I don't think individuals are talking about their mental health problems. So, what we've got is you know brilliant organisations like Mind and various other people, huge companies, huge people. It's become this CSR thing that everyone's talking about, and it's and it's you know it's a big big issue. Actually, they're just chatting about it. They're not actually dealing with it. You know, it's like saying you know, it's 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 bizarre. It's like um, you 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 see it. I see it all the time. I see it on social media. I see it over in in the press. I see it on the news. Oh, there's mental health crisis. Mental health crisis. Yes, there is, but you don't know how bad it is because nobody's doing anything about it because it's been so massively underfunded for the last 10 years. There's literally no mental health service in this country at the moment. They, they next to nearly don't exist. You know, organisations are absolutely brilliant. They're relying on public funding to survive. Um, and the government are doing this thing again where they go, oh, this is massive crisis. But they're doing fuck all about it. You know, they don't care about the individual they don't understand the individual um and that's been going on for a very long time there's this oh we'll deal with mental health we'll deal with this crisis that's fine what because you are not making it comfortable for the likes of me in society not in my work environment in society to go out and say i am comfortable you're not giving me the resources to go do it you know when i went into hospital um during my issues um, I waited seven and a half hours for the mental health nurse to assess me, to allow me to go home rather than section me, which was never going to be a thing, but they have to do it. They have to come and do the assessment because she was working between seven different hospitals across the entire of East Anglia. I was in hospital because of my mental health and I was kept in hospital in a COVID environment because they didn't have anybody to help me. But you tell me that's a society that understands the problem. Right? And I, I, you say, well, okay, that, well, that was back last April, um, April, May. Actually, it was yesterday. It was a week ago. Because 
all the focus is on COVID and we 100% understand that. But because they have pulled apart the mental health support, so much has happened. So in answer to your question, um, it is talked about a lot more, but the individual is struggling. So actually, I don't think we've made an environment where the individual can talk yet, because actually, if think about it from that person's perspective. If, I, if I'm employee X and I'm going to, to John and he's my boss, uh, I want to go and talk to him. Where do I go after that? I go to my GP. My GP gives me drugs. I sit at home, take drugs, become an auto you know, a mindless automaton. They're not that strong, but they do take away a lot of your personality. So relying on drugs is just it's just compounding the problem. It's not fixing it. You know, you need help. You need to talk to people. And for a whole society to rely on a charity like Mind. Um, who are absolutely fantastic, but they are not huge. They haven't got huge amounts of money and huge amounts of resources. They rely on a lot of volunteers. Um, you know, where's the support elsewhere? So actually, have we got an environment where you know I would go to my boss John and say, John, I'm not feeling, you know, myself, and and I need some help. And I go to my GP, and my GP says, Oh, that's fine. Here's some tablets. They'll they'll help you out with your depression, your anxiety, your, you know, your your um, your social anxiety, you know, that's all well and good, but drugs, yes, they do re-chemicalise the brain. I have researched it. I do understand there is a need, and some people do have a medical need for it. I do understand that, and I take mine like a good boy. But, you know, because I do have a, a medical need for them because I have an imbalance in my brain. But what I really needed was someone to talk to. I needed someone to talk to, and, and I didn't get any support from the NHS, and I'm not dissing the NHS, but they were underfunded. The mental health system is broken to the point of destruction and that's when that's why people are so scared because they know it's broken they've heard from people who have gone oh i've been to the, i've been to the hospital and actually i got referred to this nurse where she's working in seven eight nine different hospitals you know, it's crazy and she was exhausted by the time she got to me it was one o'clock in the morning you know, she was exhausted she'd done a she'd done about a 16 hour shift i was her last patient and she looked like she needed her own support. Yeah, and that's that's our men, that's our mental health support as it stands at the moment. And if you know we do end up with this mental health crisis that is almost guaranteed, there's nobody out there to look after anybody. It's quite scary, you know. If if I was talking about cancer, imagine the blind panic if they'd stripped back cancer so that only one doctor can do scans for every cancer patient for an entire region. You know, we the half of us wouldn't be here for a start, you know, and then you know, everyone would be up in arms. But because it's inside someone's head, it's all fluff, it doesn't matter. But actually, you know, mental health is a medical condition, and 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 actually, our environments can cause that. And Covid will have created an environment where people are absolutely petrified and they're not admitting it. And you know, I can guarantee that anybody listening, if they've had a problem, they probably haven't gone to their boss and said, do you know what, you know, I just need a breather. Or can I talk mm. to somebody? Is there somebody I can talk to? So Joe, if we could take that example and, and, and turn it into something actionable for people then. Say if, if you manage someone who you're worried about, or if you work alongside someone that you're worried about, or there's someone you used to chat to at work um, you haven't spoken to them for a long time and they're not joining any of the optional enforced fun time calls on Zoom and Teams and, and, and that sort of thing. 
how how do you go about checking in on them when we can all suddenly go very British and we go, yep, I have asked if they were okay and they said they were fine. So I'm not going to pull on that thread because it might untangle. What what advice do you have for for people who may be managing people or maybe just be be colleagues with people who who they're really worried about? We touched on this a little while ago. Um, it's about being real. Um, there was somebody that I, that I work with, um, and I could tell. I knew there was a. Uh, I knew there was an issue. I knew it wasn't the same relationship that was before. Um, and it actually um, was. It, it, it was just identifying that, and actually just swaying the conversation towards it. So, yeah, don't be. The worst thing you could do to anybody who's suffering with mental health is go and go, "Are you all right?" Because you say, "Are you all right?" What's the first thing we do as Brits? Go, "Yeah, fine, thanks. How are you?" Instant reaction. But actually bringing it into conversation, bringing it in and saying, "Do you know what?" The other night I couldn't sleep. I had no sleep. I was literally my mind was racing. And then all of it is so so easy to just talk about your personal situation. And literally that person went, God, do you know what? I had that the other night. I could not sleep. My mind was going crazy. I had all these different things going through my mind. I said, oh, do you know what I did? And I, I did this, I mentioned earlier, I did this uh, mindfulness technique, which is uh, a star jump on the bed. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it, but um, uh, look it up. Uh, look it up. I'm not going to describe it now, but it's brilliant. And it just takes all of your thoughts and your brains out of certain parts of your body. And you scribble it down and you carry on and you just remove all of these thoughts that are keeping you awake. You just remove them, siphon them off and deal with them tomorrow. Write them down, deal tomorrow. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an extension on the write things down. Um, so I started talking about that. And then the conversation the next day was, did you try it? And all of a sudden you've got this relationship of just, you're not talking about mental health. You're not talking about, any, you're talking about just little situations. So, you know, um, silly little things like, oh, you know, I'll, I can't believe it, I cried at EastEnders the other night. You know, I know it sounds really silly, but when you're struggling with mental health, you do find other other people's mental health really hard to deal with. So um, I spent a lot of time when I was really down. I still do it now. I'm not going to lie to you. I still do it now. I cry in certain situations. I have a massive weakness for old people and children. I hate to see children hurt or miserable. I hate old people being miserable. And there's quite a lot of reports about care homes and this isolation and things like that. And I've done several calls um, with old people in a local care home because I just thought it was a nice thing to do and have a chat with them and actually really interesting people um, and I, that's my weakness and I will cry you know if there's an old person a, a gentleman in our region that um, received like thousands and thousands of Christmas cards because he mentioned he was lonely that interview they did on, on Lucise with him when he said he was lonely I was bawling my eyes out and I, you know speaking about that level of weakness it's not a huge weakness it's just showing compassion but actually just showing that leads people to talk about things that have made them cry or things they get upset about. And they'll start saying, oh, do you know what? I've watched this film a hundred times. It's the first time I've ever cried at it. You know, it's, 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 and then starting to identify that they have those. And all of a sudden, the conversation every single day, you'll have a little bit of a conversation about how your week's been, how your day's been, how a certain client is. You know, I'm getting, I get upset at the moment about things clients say. I think, I'd never be bothered about that. If, if we weren't in a lockdown, there's no way that comment would ever have bothered me before. Um, and so just sharing that, and it's just being yourself. Like, for just once, take away your job title, take away your position, and just be a person. And, you know, start every single video call with a little opportunity. Say, oh, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I moan about a headache. Anything. Just start the conversation of something that's not work. 
and just see you'll you'll identify you'll know we're human beings you'll know straight away you'll see it and you'll go there's something not right there and then just don't pick at it just allow the conversation to go in that direction maybe it might not happen today it might not happen tomorrow but it could happen next friday eventually they'll start to realize they can talk to you and they'll understand it's openness and and respect for other people that will open those conversations so jay i'm i'm uh, there's there's so much practical advice there that's 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 really helpful for people you've um you, you know you said lockdown one was your real low and actually you're you're working your way through this and 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 for you you're actually um you know you're you're on the up you've had a long career that spanned multiple different roles doing doing agency stuff leaving the profession and 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 coming back um how has this experience or, or how will this experience that you've had shape what's what's next for you you know what where do you where do you want to go what do you want to be how do you want to specialize or, or, or grow what you're doing what is what do you, all... you know what it's done i've already seen it um which is a really nice thing uh certainly over the last few months i'm i'm, I'm yeah my career i'm a storyteller i love to tell a story i love a good chat as you might have noticed um, but i like to gas like to chat um but because i'm a storyteller but i'm also uh an issues person i believe that my career going forward will be identifying these issues that affect society and affect our lives and affect people and providing a solution it doesn't matter if you're a laundry brand a charity or you make tarmac you know you can in, you can change people's lives uh, it might be in the most minute way but i like to identify issues and 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 change change the world around people change the way that they they live their lives you know um I did some brilliant work. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is the amount of free work that I did for Childline over my career with lots of broadcasters. And, um, you know, it was amazing. And to actually, you know, be in that call centre, I could never be on the phone because I wasn't trained, but to listen um, and know that every time we put out an interview, every time we put a piece in the newspaper, every time that Esther was on, you know, BBC Breakfast or The One Show, every time we did that, I saved a child's life. You know, and, and, and I want my career to go in that direction, not that, to that extreme, but I want to really, you know, um, affect people's lives. I believe the power of our industry, the power of communication, the power of PR is to raise some really important issues about the world and push for change. And I believe that every brand now this year has taught everybody one thing is that we can't just be a product anymore. We need to have a face. We need to have a personality. We need to care about the world. We need to push these issues and we need to push forward. And I'm excited to see, as we drift out of this and come the end of this year, I'm excited to see that continue, not stop. You know, I don't, I don't want to ever go back to just being, you know, those faceless brands that just push out adverts and, and such. We need to, to, to start looking. Um, at how we can change the world and and that's exciting and that's where i want my career to go i will keep looking for opportunities to lobby the government i look for opportunities to work with charities to work with children to work with homeless people i still do crisis at christmas all those things i still want to continue all of those things and you know and and i believe that i am very very lucky in the job that i have uh in the age that i have to go out and find work that that we want to work on and I hope that in the future, I will affect many people's lives by the work that I do. 
Uh, Joe, you mentioned social media earlier on uh, and that you've, you've had some issues on it, but you are still very vocal. So uh, if people want to follow you or get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, always on Twitter, always welcome any followers. Jay is at Jay Evans PR, uh, J-A-Y-E-V-A-N-S-P-R. Uh, feel free to hit me up. And if you need um, or want to talk about your mental health, then my DMs are always open. Thanks to Jay Evans there from Mobas. Uh, you can follow Jay at Jay Evans PR on Twitter. Um, bit of a, a, an extra um, plug here, not for not for Mobas. I think there's enough Mobas in this episode. Um, but if you do need any um, notes to any listener, I think Adam just threw the flicks at me. Um, but if you are going through some mental health issues, um, as Jay has mentioned, there's a particular charity that's been doing fantastic work. There's been lots of fantastic charities doing amazing work um, supporting uh, mental health over the last 12, 18 months or so, certainly over the last 12 months of COVID. And that is MIND um, for Better Mental Health. Um, you can check out their resources at mind.org.uk. You can get a help there. You can make a donation and you can find some resources on how to help uh, yourself and uh, your team and perhaps family and friends as well so go there as ever you can follow the pod at pr hub on twitter adam is at adam tuckwell and i'm at john wilcox underscore don't forget as well you can email us at the pr hub podcast at gmail.com you can visit us at www.theprhubpodcast.com as well but until next time thank you very much for listening and stay safe Mm -hmm.